If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 190. This week, I catch up with podcast veteran Tim Anderson to talk about his new book, Vegan Japanese, which gives some Japanese classic dishes a plant-based spin. We also discuss what makes a proper Japanese curry sauce and why rice is so very important. So welcome back to the podcast, Tim Anderson. Thank you. Lovely to see you. You too. Um, so we're on round three now. You've done two others with us. And just to remind listeners yes. that they can listen, um, you can go back all the way to episode 69, which I think was 2017, when we talked about your book, Japanesey, and we talked about your early careers and your first experiences in Japan and how easy it is to create good Japanese food at home. Then yes. there's also episode 143, which is all about the Tokyo food scene. That was a great chart. Yeah. And you gave us loads of recommendations for places to eat. Yes. And what dishes well. you should be eating when you were out there. <laughs> it's a treasure trove of In information my about Tokyo. Yeah. yeah. Well, not, well, I mean, I respect your opinion. <laughs> it's, it's just a huge city and yeah. there's so much good food yeah. that you can listen to me, but you could also listen to like hundreds <laughs> of other people oh, and, and get good stuff anyway. Yeah. But um, for people who are unfamiliar with Tim... Um, he has, well, you've got two now Japanese soul food restaurants in Ambang. You just said yes. you've got open one in Seven Dials, but the, the original is Brixton. Brixton, That's yeah. That's right, yeah. And the new one's Seven Dials. Seven Dials. Cool. Yeah, inside the Seven Dials market. So it's like a kind of a food court. Oh, nice. But really good traders, really yeah, good yeah. food. Yeah. And, um, You've written previously three cookbooks, which are Namban, Japanesey, and Tokyo Stories. And now, book number four, which we're talking about today, yep. Vegan Japanesey. Yes. yes, another shiny book. <laughs> Very shiny. So um, you say that Japanese food isn't, is known as not being particularly vegan friendly. I mean, because, you know, fatty tuna, wagyu beef. Yeah. Sushi, all these things kind of pop up when you think about Japanese food. Yeah. But actually, there's a large part of the cuisine that is very vegan friendly. Yeah. I mean, that's my perspective as somebody who studied Japanese food for a long time and, and lived in Japan. I always found that it was hard to find food that was purely vegetarian or, or, or vegan. Right. Um, that's a, just a cultural thing. I dated a girl who was vegetarian in Japan okay. very briefly. Not because she was vegetarian, but... <laughs> but um, like, oh, see, yeah, yeah it, it did make it tricky. It was hard to go out in, into restaurants in Japan with her because so many restaurants just do one thing. And, and yeah, so you specialize. have your like, little yakitori stores yeah, or you so, have your gyoza. You and if you go to a yakitori shop that yeah. only serves chicken and you say, what do you have that's vegetarian? They <laughs> just, they'll give you rice. They'll give you rice, maybe a salad. I mean, that's an exaggeration, no. but your options are very, very limited yeah. when you have that kind of a dining scene. Because people think... I, I've found this. I, I was lucky enough to go to Tokyo and and realize that actually those things that you get on a Japanese menu in the UK usually you wouldn't get all that in one place right yeah exactly yeah so you get your place that specializes in sushi then your place that specializes in 
gyoza, then your place specializes yeah. in yakitori. There are places that'll do a bit of everything, bit like of everything. izakaya. Yeah, izakaya um, yeah. They'll serve a range. But even within that, like, um, there's often not a lot of things that are totally vegetarian. Yeah. But there is a vegetarian tradition in Japan, yeah. um, especially Buddhist temple cooking. And also, uh, just that, you know, there, there was meat and, and dairy wasn't really used in Japan up until the late 19th century. Yeah. Um, and that's partly to do with Buddhism and that's partly to do with the fact that anim- animals were more valuable as uh, for labor. Okay. Like if you had a cow, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to eat it, kill it, and eat it because <laughs> it'd be better for you to use it to plow fields of to course. grow rice. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a very long history of like vegetable uh, cooking, not quite vegetarian, but vegetable-based cooking. Okay. And then all you have to do to make it totally mm. vegetarian or vegan mm. is maybe substitute a fish-based dashi for a mushroom or a seaweed-based okay. dashi. So even though it's not really a, a strong vegetarian or vegan culture, mm. um, there's elements in it that are are quite vegan-friendly. And one thing that is quite vegan-friendly is the the really bold flavors that, are punk- that yeah. punctuate Japanese food and Japanese cooking where there's it's super, super like you know, yeah. Well, so yeah. with the exception of dashi, okay, uh, and and specifically katsu dashi, which is tuna based, all of the Japanese seasonings, like the made the main mm. seasonings um, that everybody loves, yeah. are vegan. Yeah, they're soy or rice based. Yeah. they're fermented with koji mold, which is what gives them so much flavor, and that's yeah. how you get soy sauce, sake, miso, mirin, rice vinegar. Um, and those are just the basics. Then you have things like dried mushrooms, dried seaweed, uh, shichimi chili. You have Japanese citrus. You have all these other delicious ingredients. Yeah, and every single one of these is, is vegan. Yeah, so. they're all vegan and they're all really, really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, like it's, it's, it's quite easy, especially if you solve the dashi problem, yeah. which is an easy problem to solve. <laughs> Um, I love it. Then, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, then you, then all of a sudden, like Japanese food becomes incredibly yeah. vegan friendly. Because dashi, again, is one of those things that goes into so many different things yeah. in Japan. It's it's actually when you walk into a Japanese restaurant, the smell that you can smell is the dashi stock. Often. You're absolutely right. I, I the, the smell of a Japanese restaurant to me is often um, dashi yeah. and then cooking oil. Yeah. Like if you like, and, the, and tempura <laughs> is one of these dishes that really encapsulates the whole, like a very Japanese aroma yeah. um, in one dish. And that's then not deep bold. fried and then the dipping sauce, right. the dashi based dipping sauce to yeah. go with it. So, I mean, if you, but that's, uh, you can, so first of all, dashi at its most fundamental is vegan because it's just kombu, kombu it's just yeah. kelp. Um, and then you usually add to that a, a katsubushi, the tuna flakes. Right. Um, but instead of that, well, first of all, you can just use kombudashi as the basis for hundreds okay, of dishes and cool. it's delicious yeah, by yeah, itself. Yeah. Um, but you can add to that more different kinds of seaweed and also dried mushrooms and you get yeah. really, really deep, intense, almost meaty kind yeah. of flavored broths uh, yeah. from that. You don't get the smoky fishiness, obviously, yeah. that is so Japanese, yeah. but it doesn't make dishes any less uh, delicious or less satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, because you said in the book, I am a vegan frequently and accidentally. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> I'm not vegan, I should probably yeah, disclose that. 
Did you get any, have you been getting any hassle from the, um, you know, vegan people in your DMs? Not saying, yet, but I'm sure I will. How dare you write a vegan book, <laughs> you non-vegan? Well, I, I mean, that's a thing that I should probably address. It's like, um, I hope that vegans like this book. Yeah. But I wrote it from the perspective <clears throat> of somebody who has always eaten meat and who likes meat. Yeah. Um, but who has recognized that I shouldn't eat so much meat and that none of us should. <laughs> um, so this book is absolutely for vegans, but it's also for people who are just vegan curious yeah. and who want options. Yeah. We had the debate at Hardy Grant of whether or not to call, make this a vegetarian book or a vegan book. And a vegetarian book would have been good. It would have like mm. um, done what we wanted it to do in terms of trying to um, help people who want to eat less yeah. meat. But vegan is just that much more inclusive. Yeah. Um, so we said, let's let's go for it. Let's, let's, go for it. let's yeah, make it all vegan. It, push it all the way. Yeah, but for me, I found myself... Um, Buying less meat and fish, mm. fresh meat and fish, when I was working very long, late hours at my restaurant. Okay. Because if I bought them, yeah. I would never get home to cook them. And then I'd either just throw them in the freezer okay, or end up throwing like them in the bin. Waste, yeah. yeah. So I, I started making meals out of things that had a long shelf life. Yeah. Um, and that included things like tinned pulses, rice, noodles, pasta, tin tomatoes, uh, root vegetables, yeah. frozen vegetables, things like that. Um, and I found myself cooking more vegetarian or even vegan mm. dishes kind of by accident yeah. and not missing the meat, not feeling like I was missing something. I was still eating good, tasty, satisfying meals. And you're quite an experimental person, aren't you? I can imagine you getting quite competitive with yourself about how can I make this even better? It, it, <laughs> it got to that point when I did realize, oh, there's something, uh, there's something interesting about really trying to make something that something vegan yeah. uh, that's not usually vegan yeah like veganizing right and then you because we're in the process actually right now at the restaurant trying to convert all of our vegetarian dishes to vegan dishes oh, okay um and sometimes it's in, it's actually really easy and better so there's a mayo recipe in vegan japanese yeah what would be an example of which is not only the most delicious mayo i think i've ever made it's okay. also the easiest it uses soy milk as an emulsifier instead of egg yolks yeah and that makes it um first of all it gives it like a really light creamy texture okay it's super easy to uh whip together you mm. don't even need to drizzle in the oil little by little you can just bung everything together and blend it and it'll okay. turn to mayonnaise it's yeah, yeah. unbelievably like it's like magic. Um, <laughs> and then the flavor is, yeah, mainly just because of the seasonings that I've used in it. But um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a really delicious mayonnaise. So is it like a kewpie mayo, like a Japanese It's like style that mayo, style yeah, of mayo. So of it's got um, nutritional yeast flakes in it. Oh, which, yeah, which is, gives you that kind of really from, cheesy, yeah, cheesy you know, I fun, think like funky kind of flavor. In that one, I think it gives it almost like the egg yolk flavor. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then it's got a little bit of soy sauce, a little bit of rice vinegar, a little bit of mustard. Um, and it's just a nice. delicious, highly seasoned, yeah. tangy mayonnaise. <laughs> so like in the process of veganizing certain things, yeah. like... Um, I've realized that you can make things that are really delicious yeah. and maybe even better. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, why not? Once th th There's something irreplaceable about certain things, like, like, uh, well, like katsubushi. Yeah. Um, I, I, I also wrote about how I tried to get the smoky flavor yeah. um, into my kombu dashi, my seaweed dashi, by putting kombu in the toaster. Okay. Which... <laughs> Which didn't, didn't work. work. Did <laughs> well, it, it worked. It worked too well. It Was basically your house full of the smell of toasted. It smelled like, um, like if you've ever if you've ever had a bonfire on the beach. Yeah. It smelled like that, 
and basically the kombu just sort of crumbled to ash <laughs> inside the toaster. Um, so that didn't really work. But then, and also, but then something that came out of that was I started to toast the kombu over my gas flame. Okay, yeah. And that worked beautifully. Yeah. Like, that worked really, really well. Because they toast nori over flame, don't yeah, they? Yeah, and I found out kombu. Yeah. This is something I thought I oh, invented, but oh then I was God. reading it. Yeah. Someone had thought of it already. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, but, and it didn't, obviously, it didn't end up tasting like katsubushi, but yeah. it was really good, yeah. the dashi I made from that. Nice. Um, and by the way, that's only if you really want to make dashi from scratch, because you can use, <laughs> I, and I, rec I, I encourage people to uh, you can get dashi use, stock use powder. powder. Yeah, yeah, dashi powder. It's, it's pretty good. There's it's a lot really of things good. that you say... Um, you know, the, the Japanese are great at convenience. That's one of the things they've always yep. done really well. So there's there's various different things that you would you would walk into a supermarket and buy yeah. ready made, and it and it's a, a decent product. So it's funny. I think it's like it's easy to be a lazy cook in Japan. Yeah. Because somewhere along the line, like in the manufacturing world yeah. somebody did all the hard work yeah. before you. <laughs> you somebody has fine-tuned these these powders and these concentrates and these sauces they've done it so well they've done it so well that you can just pick it up off a shelf add water and you have yeah, something delicious yeah stay tuned for more from tim including a lesson in proper japanese curry making Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is um, umami, because there's a fascinating yeah. little chapter in the book, like a mini chapter on umami. Um, and obviously umami is is quite naturally present in meat, especially like when yes. you char meat, when you get that reaction. And um, but, but as well, umami is obtainable without it. Yeah. And then you go into quite scientific <laughs> yeah, I'm quite um, a, detail. I'm an umami geek, and there's a book that came out a, a while ago now called Dashi and Umami, which okay. um, had some amazing Japanese recipes in it. Yeah. But then also an appendix about the science of umami and wow. the history of umami. And it lists all the umami, well, the main umami compounds, which are glutamate, guanylate, and inosinate, and then also what the greatest, what the like, yeah. um, what the biggest sources of them are yeah. in cooking. Um, and one of the biggest of, of glutamate in particular is kombu. Uh, it's just a huge amount of glutamate, which is, of course, natural MSG, yeah. basically. And it just makes everything taste delicious. So if you're starting with kombu or, or kombu dashi in a mm. dish, you're already like have a, a really good umami foundation. Yeah. Um, and then you just build on top of that. Yeah. With things like dried mushrooms, yeah, dried mushrooms with seaweed, again, naturally occurring umami. Uh, huge, huge. Yeah. That, that, they've got what's called guanylate in them. Um, and then you've got seaweeds like nori or wakame or, um, or hijiki. They all have more glutamate, more what's called inosinate. Um, and uh, then you add the condiments and you add things like soy sauce, sake, miso. Again, you're, you're doubling down on the umami. Yeah. So before you even like just with the seasonings, before you even decided what produce is yeah. going in a dish, <laughs> you've made things delicious yeah, you've got your <laughs> with Japanese blocks. ingredients. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I was living in Japan, I inherited the guy who, uh, my, like my predecessor in Japan when I was an English teacher, he, he left a bunch of stuff in the flat okay. when I took it over. And one of them was this little jar, this little shaker of salt and pepper. Okay. And I used to put this on my rice <laughs> and, and I, this plain white rice. And I, I always thought it was so delicious. And I was like, why is this so good? <laughs> it's just salt it? and pepper. But then I looked at it and it wasn't just salt. Yeah. It was 
what's called flavor salt, which is MSG. Oh, yeah, which is MSG salt. MSG, yeah. That, yeah. So I've been putting MSG and pepper on my rice, and of course it was really, <laughs> really delicious. Like... But that's what happens with Japanese food. You start with MSG yeah. or, or naturally occurring glutamate or anything that's got that umami in it, mm. and then it could just make plain white and rice MSG taste MSG isn't some horrible fake. Because no. there's so much bad press about MSG, isn't yeah. there? And a lot of misinformation about it as well. But you spend a lot of time explaining exactly what it is. Yeah, so there's no actual MSG in these recipes in, no. in vegan japanese But if you wanted to use it, you could. And it would be in keeping with Japanese home cooking. Yeah. Um, but there's enough natural MSG in things like soy sauce and miso in yeah. particular um, that you don't need to add it. Uh, but it's there. People yeah. should know, like, if you think you have an MSG sensitivity or something like that, like, if you're eating soy sauce and miso, then you don't. Yeah, because um, it's, already, <laughs> it's in already in there. <laughs> same with cheese, same with bacon, same with uh, peas, garden peas. Yeah. They've all got... MSG. Oh. Yeah, high qualities <laughs> of MSG. So that that's what makes, I think... And it's not just Japanese food. There are a lot of types of cuisine that are really good at delivering umami. Yeah. Um, Chinese is good. Uh, Italian is yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, because you talked about, you were talking about a mommy and then you were talking about a very rich tomato sauce and it made me start thinking yeah. about like how good that, it's, you know, really a ragu that's been cooked for hours with like really ripe tomatoes yeah. and, and um, garlic and it just kind of something in it that's just so satisfying. And Actually, in the first japanese book, there's a recipe for a tomato salad with spicy ponzu oh, nice. um, which happens to be vegan as well and that's that that's got a combination of tomatoes and and soy sauce yeah and that combination is like just an umami bomb wow like it's so satisfying yeah. so moorish um and that's how you do it yeah. that's that's i think what makes japanese food one of the cuisines that is so good for vegans and vegetarians because yeah. you and I think a lot of people have had this experience where you have Japanese food and it might have no meat in it or no even particular protein. Yeah. Like a bowl of soba noodles or no. udon yeah. um, can be vegan and, and, and very, very light, but also very satisfying so somehow. It's the satisfying thing, isn't yeah. it? Where you feel really like you've just inhaled something. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's umami. Um, <laughs> also in the book, you've got your seven essential items. Yes. Like, how did you pick these? How did you like decide what the seven were, or is it just the ones that you use all the time, or they're the easiest to get? Or it's uh, so. First of all, there's a principle, like a basic principle in yeah. Japanese cooking called uh, sase suse so. Oh, really? Each one is, is for one of the different tastes, basically. So sa is for sato, which is sugar. Right. Uh, se is for salt, shio. Uh, so is for shoyu, which is soy sauce. Yeah. Um, Wait, so is for miso. Now I'm getting confused. People <laughs> uh, can look it up. Oh, she, she is for shio. Se is for... Wait, one's for vinegar. Anyway, that's how it starts. And, and But for me, it was just sort of yeah. from experience cooking Japanese food for a long time. What are the... What are the most the elements uh, that you're going to the elements that you need yeah. to have? And it's not that they're necessarily the most used. I mean, I always say people should get a rice vinegar. Yeah. You don't use that much vinegar in Japanese cooking, but there's no other sort of ingredient that'll give you that give flavor. You that. So it's you a, need it's to, a very particular flavor. Yeah. Again, a bit like the dashi. Right. So you need to have it. It'll give you the edge that's missing in that dish. Yeah. And of course, one of these ingredients is rice. Yeah. And that's just because so many Japanese meals are based around rice. Yeah, I was reading that you were saying that. Um, 
Because, like, I think it's the same in Thailand that the word for rice is the word for meal. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's just, you know, so it's the same word. Yeah, so it's, so it's, basically they, the Japanese see rice as a pretty much essential part of yeah, your Yeah, gohan meal. is the word, yeah. Yeah. Gohan, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then there's also this tradition of maybe serving a few like, small dishes, whether it's like pickles on the side or a soup. Yeah. With your rice and your other dish. Right, right, right. So again. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, they, I read somewhere, I can't remember where, they said that uh, Japanese food doesn't have a center. It doesn't have like a main course. A main course. Like it doesn't we, have yeah. a main thing in a dish. Yeah. Uh, like a dish is usually a bunch of smaller things around. And obviously in our, our, it, that does our Western heads in, doesn't it? Yeah. Because we're so used to just having like, I mean, even like when I think tapas and sharing food f- first came, Right. popular it's still like you know my grandparents still would find that like ridiculous well like, uh, we get a lot of every well not a lot of complaints but every now and again we get complaints at the restaurant that when we serve ramen with pork belly in it it's only got one slice of pork belly and it's like well it's not about the pork belly no. we're not serving it's, you a pork belly dish yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you should yeah there would be a problem if we didn't serve you very many noodles yeah. that that's the main thing in a bowl Tim, of ramen where's the rest of my pork right. belly um like, if you want lots of pork belly in Japan and ramen shops, and here, most places, yeah. you have to order extra pork belly. <laughs> um, but, like, that, yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's no main thing. and But they say that uh, Japanese food, instead of having a center, it has a destination. Oh, okay. and the destination is rice. <laughs> and you always have to get to rice <laughs> at some point. And, and there are, I always think this is funny, there are ramen shops in Japan that still serve rice. On the side of your ramen? You can get a bowl of rice, yeah, on the side. And you would just eat it? In tandem. Some people eat it at the end. Some people eat it, you know, they dip into it as they're going. Some people mix it in with the broth. Okay. Uh, but there's just a lot of people who feel like a, a meal's not complete without rice. The other thing I discovered about rice reading the book is um, I thought sushi rice was just for sushi. But you say sushi rice is Japanese rice. And it, it's just been labeled sushi rice because that's all we ever use it for. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Which if you crazy. buy Japanese rice in a supermarket here... It's usually labeled sushi rice, yeah. which I think is really confusing yeah. uh, because it's just Japanese rice. There's yeah. no such type of rice a sushi as rice. sushi rice. Right. Um, sushi rice is Japanese rice that you cook in a certain way and then season a certain way, way to make sushi. To make sushi. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I always wonder, it makes me wonder how many like people look at sushi rice and think, oh, I shouldn't buy that. It's just for sushi. It's just good rice. It's just I'm, good short grade rice. Really, it, like all my years in food and like having it and it, it just didn't even occur to me well, it's that not, that's, and I, I've had Japanese rice but I just didn't think but that's the thing it's confusing yeah, it's really confusing and, and I don't understand the manufacturers why they would do it either because they're yeah. limiting themselves because no. how often do you make sushi at home really um, never, never. <laughs> you will after you have yeah. buy this book but um, <laughs> buy the book <laughs> but uh, but if you're trying to sell something as, as a sushi ingredient yeah, yeah, yeah. exclusively, yeah. instead of just saying, this is Japanese mm. rice, put it next to your basmati, put it next to your jasmine, have it as another option yeah. for people. Um, because for a, me, it's my favorite kind of rice. It does have a particular um, character to it, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's, not, it's not fluffy like basmati and separate. It's sort of... No, it's, it's a little bit sticky, sticky but yeah. it, you wouldn't call it sticky rice. No. Um, so it's not as sticky as Thai sticky rice, for right. example, that people might Like the have. grains are individual, yeah. From they're distinct from one another, but they're bound by a, a, a thin film of starch. I'm I'm always in awe of sushi chefs, like proper sushi chefs, mm. because of their rice skills. Yeah, the rice I, is the rice is kind of what makes it 
great. Isn't it's a it? huge part of it. Um, but I see photos of like really good sushi on on Instagram and yeah. stuff. I don't get to eat very much high end sushi, but uh, <laughs> but the rice. If you look closely at the rice in the photos, it always looks like like it's stuck together by some kind of magic. Yeah. Like it, you don't see any of that yeah. sort of starchy film on it. It doesn't look cluggy. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Every grain is distinct and perfectly shaped, yeah. and like it's just amazing to me. But yeah. that's the character of like Japanese rice. It has just enough starch and just the right kind of starch yeah. to stick it together just so but still every grain is distinct yeah. it, I, I think it's amazing and I you, love Japanese you do, rice you do go into quite good detail about how to cook it properly because you said that you did a little shout out on Twitter saying what's the thing that everyone yeah. can't do and everyone went I can't cook rice to save my life <laughs> and that's professional me. chefs yeah. a lot of yeah. professional chefs say they can't cook rice um I still get rice wrong. Yeah. I got rice wrong just the other day because <laughs> I was cooking on an unfamiliar hob. And yeah. um, I will say, it, uh, whatever your method is to cook rice, yeah. if you have one that works, then ignore mine. Um, <laughs> you should, if you have something that do really works, thing, yeah. do your thing, uh, stick to that. <laughs> never let it go. But if not? If not, then that's what my book's for, yeah. Brilliant. Um, let's just talk about some of the recipes to finish. Yeah. Um, I, I made the curry ramen before I even got the book because we were actually, we're actually running three recipes in our Easter issue. We're running, um, and your publisher told me these were three of your favorite recipes. I don't know if she was just buttering me up, oh. but we chose the, the curry ramen, yeah. um, the mapu tofu, mm. and the celeriac with wafu sauce. Yes, those actually are a few of my yeah. favorites, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of your favorite things. I saw a couple on your Instagram feed and I was like, oh, she wasn't lying. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the curry ramen. So you've got a nice, um, it's not really a rant. It is a little bit of a rant about katsu curry sauce. Oh, or that's a huge sauce. rant. I would call that a rant. <laughs> because yeah. people have got the wrong idea about what katsu curry is. Yes. So uh, people think that katsu curry is the name of the curry. Curry, yeah. Uh, as if it's, you know, the name of the sauce. So, especially now, lately in supermarkets, um, you see like packet sauces yeah. of, like curry sauce, of curry sauce, yeah, yeah. called katsu curry, curry sauce, and it's yeah. it's like, and then you see things like, um, I hope you don't have Greg's as a sponsor or anything, but they don't sponsor us. <laughs> <Okay>. I mean, <laughs> and I like Greg's. Let me just say, I think if you we, want a we, sausage roll, no, we've we've they're... recently been nice about their vegan sausage rolls. So you know, and plus okay. Greg's are from my hometown. So oh, right, yeah. The most Greg's in, Greg's in per yeah. capita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I really don't have anything particularly against Greg's. I think Greg's is but fine, but, but they curry. did a, they did something called a katsu curry <laughs> chicken bake. Um, I love and you know what it means? It means here's a little bake, the yeah. slice thing with the yeah, pastry, with chicken and a <laughs> Japanese-style curry sauce in yeah. it. But it's just not katsu unless it's got katsu. And this is... This is where it gets so it's annoying katsu. and confusing. Yeah, yeah. Um, katsu is the thing on the curry yeah. that's breaded and fried. So katsu is short ah. for katsuretto, which means cutlet. Oh, cutlet. Yeah. So it's whatever you veg meat, whatever you want to yeah. breadcrumb fry. That's the katsu. That's your katsu, right. Um, now, katsu sauce, this is the other thing. People think the curry sauce is called katsu sauce. Yeah. Katsu sauce is short for tonkatsu sauce, which oh, is pork which is that cutlet sauce, brown sauce, which is brown that? sauce. Yeah. yeah. So like for one of the reasons this irritates me so much is because like, you know, whatever words change when they go yeah. into new countries or, or they get adopted. 
like uh, I always think about champagne. Yeah. We first of all we pronounce it wrong. How are you meant to pronounce it? Well, in French it's champagne. Oh, like, champagne. isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so that's annoying. But then also in America we yeah. call all sparkling wine champagne. Oh really? Yeah. You're not allowed to do that. They'll arrest you. Right. Um, <laughs> but we're not. You know. You don't. Care. We're not privy to these laws. So. Uh, but imagine how annoying that must be to champagne producers. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. So it's the same with me. Like I, yeah. I get it. Like people will um, words take on their own thing. And and. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is a tangential thing. But I, I actually, a long time ago, I got really annoyed at my mother pronouncing sake as yeah. sake. Sake. Because in Japanese, it's yeah. not sake. Is a completely different word. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, and she looked it up on the dictionary. She was like. Aha. And she showed me this dictionary entry that said that sake could be pronounced sake. Right. And so I got, I was furious and I wrote a letter to the dictionary. I was like 20 years old or something. And I said, Incensed. you should change this. Like, yeah, yeah this is wrong. <laughs> and they wrote me back, actually. Same. They wrote me back, which was amazing. And they, they very patiently explained, look, this isn't a Japanese word. Yeah. This is an English word that we got from Japanese. And I can't argue with that. And once it becomes an English word, then it is become it becomes its own thing. But having said all of this, <laughs> when somebody when somebody yeah, she's still wrong. Mom, you're still wrong. When somebody comes into my restaurant and says, "Can I have some like a side of katsu sauce?" No. We give them brown sauce right. because that's what katsu what sauce is. And then they often say, and then they say, the "No, I wanted katsu sauce." <laughs> Thinking that it's curry sauce, oh, so I like see. even though you know I I, I you get, understand, you get it. It, yeah, it's still spreading misinformation. In, in mainstream Britain, yeah. katsu sauce means a curry sauce. For me, it doesn't mean that, and for yeah. nobody in Japan, it, it, yeah, yeah, anybody yeah. in Japan, it doesn't mean that. So there's confusion there. So I'm I'm still trying to get people to get <laughs> katsu sauce clear in their heads and, and, and katsu curry. But the the base of curry ramen is a curry roux. Yes. And curry roux is, again, it's one of those things that we said, you can actually buy good curry roux from yep. a Japanese um, supermarket, which you'll get in a little block. Yeah. Um, but you can make your, your version of it and keep it in the freezer, which I did. Yeah. And it's mad. It's got uh, bananas in it, peanut it butter in it. It's, uh, <laughs> I was reading it, I was like, what? Well, so Japanese curry sauce is often... They're, they're weird compared quite, to like... It's quite mild and free. It's it's what I would call like a 70s curry sauce. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Or like a chip shop curry sauce. Yeah, like sauce. chip shop curry sauce. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're basically like a lightly spiced gravy yeah. thickened with uh, mainly a roux. A roux yeah. And in, in this, the vegan version, it's vegetable oil and coconut oil. Yeah. Um, but then also Japanese curries will have other kinds of things to thicken them and sweeten them and flavor yeah. them. Often fruit, typically fruit and... and uh, some Japanese curry brands actually are known for what kind of fruit they have in oh, them. Really? Like, so it gives it a different little Yeah, edge so some of them have your... like apple in them, some of them have pineapple. Yeah. I've always put banana in them um, because I lived in a town in Japan that was famous for bananas. Yeah. They didn't grow them there, but that's where they that's where they historically imported bananas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and makes, then yeah. the peanut butter thing also I just think works really nicely. Really it's in uh, one of my favorite off-the-shelf curry brands, Java Curry. Yeah, and you don't take you don't taste any of these things as separate. They're just there as no. like layers and layers and layers I of mean, flavor. Exactly, because yeah. you've got all the spices on top of it. You've got onions and garlic and ginger in there, and it just ends up tasting that much more nutty or mm. that much fruitier. And you don't think, oh, it tastes like banana. Yeah, it just sort of comes together 
as curry. The, re- <laughs> the reason I call it 70s was my mom used to make this curry on a Monday with the leftover roast chicken on a that we had on a Sunday, and she would put it would be the sauce would be like curry powder, bit of stock, and then it would have pineapple in it and raisins. And then my yeah. grandma used to make curry. And for her curry, she used to top it with bananas that she'd grilled with a bit of sugar on. So it's definitely was a thing. I, I don't think that was just my grandma being weird. I okay. think that was like a thing back well, then. Well, so this is interesting because Japanese curry comes from the British. The oh, yeah. British so, were oh, the we, ones who we introduced did it. We curry. Took, we did that thing where we kind yeah, of, yeah. And, and um, so I, I have, that would have been in the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't know what British curry was like <laughs> then. But maybe it was like that. Maybe all this fruity stuff came from the British yeah. version of curry. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's very interesting to me because you'd think Japan, just by proximity, would have got some kind of curry yeah. from South Asia. But they decided to go the roundabout way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then again, you know, Japan was not open to trade or, yeah. or anything like that for many centuries. Yeah. So what got in is a bit yeah. weird. <laughs> but we do love a curry, though, and whatever curry you like this recipe is incredible thank you so, so it's like uh curry ramen broth base and then ramen noodles and i think we've got like cabbage in there and yeah pickled ginger. Pickle ginger and like you said it hasn't really got it, it it's all veg based but like the the satisfaction level from having a big bowl of that is yes i've like fed it to my husband twice and both times <laughs> like this is incredible i think it's yeah well first of all it should be said it's that like, japanese food at least the kind of Japanese food that I cook and the kind that I have always loved tends to be quite salty, yeah. quite sweet, yeah. and then quite umami. Yeah. And those three things together, it's like, it's, what you, it's yeah. irresistible, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that recipe certainly is like that. Yeah. Plus, also, it's very viscous. It's like, yeah, it's a very thick, a, rich yeah, broth. It's a good slurpy broth as well. <laughs> yeah. um, and the other one um, that we really loved, because I really, lo- I loved how you twisted it, was the... Um, said the snappily named Szechuan style hot and numb and tofu with ancient grains, which is a, <laughs> <laughs> which is a vegan version of, of classic Mapu tofu. Mapu tofu, yeah. yeah. So this is a recipe that um, I worked really hard on. Yeah. <laughs> I know you said, didn't you say you cooked it four times a week for a year or something? I was Ridiculous. making, I became obsessed with Mapu tofu maybe three years ago or something. Okay. And um, I don't know why yeah. exactly, but I became determined to try to make the best version I could. Okay. Um, I think that's partly actually because it was one of these things that I was I could never quite get it how I wanted it at restaurants. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna try to do it myself so I can get it just how I like it because there's a lot of variations on it. Um, was it I, a certain uh, level of because the Szechuan pepper in it is that kind of mouth watering? There's it that you- also the type of Szechuan pepper that you use. Oh wow. Um, so. I, First of all, I should say, why is there a Szechuan restaurant, uh, Szechuan recipe in a Japanese book? Yeah. It's because mabo tofu. There's a Japanese version of it, ah, right, um, okay. called mabo tofu, yeah, uh, which is pretty close to the Szechuan original, yeah. but it tends to be milder. And again, the sauce is sort of more like a a spiced gravy, yeah, um, and it comes in packets like like the curry does okay, as well. Cool. So that was why I included it. But also it was just one of these things that was like, it's it's traditional Sichuan mabo tofu is very, very close to being vegan. It's got pork mints in it usually. Yeah. Um, and I was playing around with so many recipes and I was like, you know, it's so close to being vegan. Why can't it just be yeah, vegan? It, it's, a bit perver- <laughs> it's a bit perverse really because everything in it, apart from 
pork mince. Right. Just seems like such a random addition that the main bulk is tofu. Yeah. And then you add this pork mince. Because it doesn't have fish sauce. It doesn't no. have dashi yeah. or anything like all of those non-vegan yeah. ingredients uh, that wind up in a lot of Asian cooking. Um, so I was like, why, why, why pork? <laughs> like, and I tried it with uh, mushrooms because yeah. um, I thought, oh, that'd be nice and meaty. And they were good, but what the, they didn't have was the texture. Texture, yeah. The pork's mince, mince like pork bouncy, has the, isn't it? the little bouncy, yeah. chewy bits. Yeah. And I was like, well, let's try it instead with like frika and yeah. buckwheat. Which is and great. that worked. Yeah. That worked really, really well. Um, and and be, other than that, it's a very straightforward Sichuan mapo yeah. tofu recipe yeah. because it is vegan. Yeah. Um, Apart from the pork. <laughs> what? Apart from the pork. Apart from the pork, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's, I'm quite proud of that recipe. That's a great one. Um, it's not very Japanese, I should say, but, um, but it, it does exist in Japan. And also there's been a big trend lately for Mapo ramen. Yeah. Um, so you could have that on noodles oh, and you'd nice. have something, something quite Japanese. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's also got Sancho, which is a Japanese cultivar of Szechuan pepper. So, yeah. Which I think is really, really, really good. It's Lovely. got this great... Almost like a lemongrassy kind of aroma, yeah, and it's got fresh. that nice tingle as well. Yeah. So that's um, another one that we've got in the Easter issue. There's actually is it eighty recipes in the whole book? Something like that, Something, yeah. Yeah, and it, it is honestly, it's a great book, and I'm going to carry on cooking from it. Thank it actually, you. Actually, um, this podcast going out on Friday the seventh. Your book's been uh, published tomorrow, isn't it? On the sixth. Yeah. Yeah. What? No, tomorrow's the fifth, right? Oh when no! Sorry, yeah, out? yeah, yeah. Fifth. So this oh is, yeah. So this is going out on the sixth. Okay, I've actually great. got this written in front of me, and I've managed to just completely miss it. <laughs> no, it's that. good to know. Uh, yeah. It's good to because you're having your launch check party these things, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been all over the place lately. Yeah. Um, I have to make sure I have my dates right. Yeah. But yeah, out, your out, launch party is tomorrow, Tim. Launch party tomorrow. <laughs> sorry to confuse you. The fifth, <laughs> and then the books out of the sixth. Yeah. But some people out there already have it. I don't know yeah. where people get these books. But I think your publisher's been really generous and been sending out advanced copies. There's that, yeah. Like me. But also the books. Uh, Black market. What's that? A black market in yeah. Tim Anderson books. Well, the I books know. being released simultaneously in uh, America and Australia. Amazing. And I think that quite a lot of people there already have already the book. Get so, it, yeah. yeah. It's doing really well in America already, actually. I checked, it's the yeah. number one new release on the Japanese nice. charts been, in America it, and I mean, Amazon. Apart from being useful and very, very funny, I mean, some of the intros are just solid gold. Thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a very beautiful looking book as well. There's a, is that calamansi? Am I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a pumpkin. Oh, it's a pumpkin. Yeah. Okay. I need to give credit, as always, where credit's due. The design's by Evie O. It's absolutely beautiful. She's an Australian designer, yeah. and the um, and she's on my last two books as well. And the photography's really stunning as well. The photographer's by Nasa Marathaker, yeah. and she's just done an amazing also, job. Like your other Japanese book, it, the clues in the name, Japanese. Yes, it's very doable. So if you want to, I hope if, so. Yeah, yeah, um, and everything's got a difficulty rating on it. Um, which get funnier and funnier, splendidly not difficult. So, Those are hard to write yeah. after you've done 150 <laughs> of them or something. But anyway, um, so that's published by Hardy Grant, so go out and get it, or also go and grab a copy of the uh, Easter issue. But um, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Thank Kim. you, yeah, pleasure. my pleasure. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please review and rate us. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our March issue now on the newsstand, or why not take advantage of our brilliant subs offer and get five issues delivered for only £5. 
just go to buysubscriptions.com forward slash O-L-P-O-D to get the offer. After your first five issues, you automatically pay $20.99 for every six issues, but you can cancel at any time. T's and C's apply. So that's it for this week. See you next week when we'll be back with my food and drink chat.